today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. God can forgive you. And there is such beautiful forgiveness held out in Scripture. But think about the story of King David and think about the fact that it was likely Solomon who was instructing his son who would have grown up hearing the story of Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. And how King David, how grandpa and grandma met was not a happy story. And the truth is this, God did forgive David. But there were still terrible consequences to what he had done. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. There's always forgiveness available for those that have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Today, Pastor Ricky will be reminding us that even though God will forgive us when we sin against Him, it doesn't necessarily mean we won't suffer the consequences of that sin. There is a reason God has given us boundaries and commands us in His Word. It's to keep us safe, to keep us on the straight and narrow path. When we decide to venture off the path that God wants us on, we will eventually suffer the consequences. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with his message, The Lies of Temptation. Somebody had encouraged me, you know, you really should think about getting a closed cooler system just because of your allergies. It'll help filter some of that stuff out. And I thought, whatever. I love this house. It's a great house. I love the trees. No big deal. I moved in. A month later, I wasn't dead, right? I mean, obviously, I made it. And so two months later, still alive. Three months later, still alive. But something began to happen. I started to get more and more frequent sinus infections, more and more frequent sinus headaches. Now, I love that house, but it was as if my allergist had told me, you cannot live there and not suffer. And I said, but I'm not dead. Now, what, what the father, though, is describing is far more serious than a few sinus infections every year. This is corrosive, fiery, life-destroying sin. Th this would be something like, like somebody coming over and letting you know, hey, I, I think you've got a carbon monoxide leak in your home. It's slow, but I think it's there. And I think I found that in your water supply, there are toxic levels of lead. And you go, I'm not dead. And so you wake up and you say, listen, that person was crazy. I can walk, I can talk, I feel fine. Maybe a little bit of headache. It's not a big deal. A week later, you can still walk. You can still talk. Your symptoms are a little worse. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Pretty soon, you're not going to be able to walk or talk or laugh about it anymore. That's what the Father is saying about sin. You cannot sin. You cannot sin and not suffer. And I want to just drop into something today. I, I wish I had more time to spend on this, but I think one of the, one of the things in our world, um, and by logic we go, okay, that's true. I, I shouldn't sleep with so-and-so. I shouldn't commit adultery. I shouldn't do this. But I think one of the areas in which we think that this does not apply is the area of pornography. And this is the reality, friends. When you sin, with pornography, your relationship with God will suffer. 
the very thing that you were made for, the very thing meant to give you true joy and life will begin to fade. You cannot sin with that and expect that nothing will change in your relationship with God. You cannot sin with that and expect that your relationship with your spouse will not suffer. But, but I'm not, listen, it has nothing to do with them, okay? No, 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 you, you can't sin. And even if they never find out, and they will, even if they never find out, you looking at that will erode your relationship with the real person in front of you. Because you'll start to think they're not enough. You'll start to think selfishly in not just sexual, but multiple areas of your life. And listen, let me just urge singles to listen here. You cannot sin with this now and it not affect your future relationship with your spouse. See, you can believe this lie that, look, I don't know when God's gonna give me a wife or a husband and I wanna feel this now. And listen, when, when that day finally comes, I'll happily give this up, but I need it now. What you don't realize is that there is a carbon monoxide leak in your life and you won't find it until a year into your marriage. Your relationship with others in general will suffer. It turns, porn turns you inward it begins to train you to use people, to see them as objects. And listen, you cannot do that without it affecting your relationships with everyone. Selfishness, corrosive effects, isolation that pulls you further and further and further away from people. And lest we forget, you cause the suffering of others. Listen, if you don't believe me, I I dare you um, to get online, maybe a place like fightthenewdrug.org, uh, and, and to get online and read the statistics about how the porn industry covers up and even promotes abuse and exploitation. You say, well, no, but that, that girl, obviously, the look on her face, she wants to be there. The look on that guy's face, he wants to be doing this. Read the stats. Read about how many of those workers have been abused through that industry, are being abused in that industry, and especially how many of them have been abused sexually as kids and teens. And add to that this, this, the truth that the guy or girl you are looking at is, is giving themselves to something that will crush their soul. You say, well, I didn't, I didn't pay for that. I just looked at it. That look does pay for it. And you're paying them for sins that will condemn them on the last day before God. You cannot sin with this, friends, and not suffer and cause the suffering of others. And how much more would we add to all of these things, real physical immorality? In our world today, we've done everything we can possibly do to convince ourselves that we can sleep with whoever we want, whenever we want, without any consequences, that everybody's doing it, everyone's hooking up, but this is the reality. It destroys our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, our future spouse, our relationship with others, and the person that we are sinning with. And listen, God can forgive you. 
And there is such beautiful forgiveness held out in Scripture. But think about the story of King David and think about the fact that it was likely Solomon who was instructing his son who would have grown up hearing the story of Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. And how King David, how grandpa and grandma met was not a happy story. And the truth is this, God did forgive David. But there were still terrible consequences to what he had done that lingered on and the seeds of the destruction of the nation were planted in that act. You cannot sin and not suffer. I'm not going to get through all four of these. I'm just going to pick another one. Second, the lie is this. You can find true satisfaction in sexuality. Skip over to the next chapter in verse 10. I'll just give you the second lie. I'm not going to spend any time on it. Second lie is this. You can get close without getting caught up. Look at verses uh, 1 through 9 where this young, where the father observes young men lacking sense passing near the corner of this woman taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness thinking I can get close, I can get a glimpse of her, I can get the scent of her perfume without totally going all the way, without entering the door of her house. And what he forgets is that temptation meets you on that last step. You think I'm a step away. No, no, no. (laughs) It's gonna meet you a step closer than you think. Third lie then, you can find true satisfaction in sexuality. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold faith, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today, and today I have paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Now listen, I understand that there's a wide range of ages here this morning, so I'm gonna guard my words. But the language speaks for itself. In great detail, this woman lays out every kind of sensory pleasure imaginable and adds to it the fact that no one will know. No one will ever know. My husband's going to be gone for weeks. See, one of the lies laid out in our world and in this this illicit temptation is that you can experience all of this and when you do, you will find true satisfaction. See, the father lays out almost the most extreme case possible. He lays out, in essence, the most tempting, enticing night of this young man's life and asks, is this worth it? Will this give you the true satisfaction that you long for? But it is a lie. 
as we've already seen, it is a lie because it will result in suffering. At the end of the day, the pleasure will not satisfy this deepest longing either. So you will suffer and suffer unsatisfied. Now listen, God created us to find our deepest good in him, our truest satisfaction and joy in him and he gave gifts of nature and sunsets and sexuality these are meant to point us back to God but when we take one of his gifts any of his gifts and put it in the place of God we sin and not only do we suffer we remove the possibility of that true joy and satisfaction ever happening because that thing was never intended to give us that we say often this, this will be my true satisfaction and my joy and my life and my peace, but it can't. It was never designed to be that. Now, I wanna, I wanna pause here for a minute. I think this is probably the last main section I'm gonna be able to hit, but this, I think, is really, really important. Um, sometimes churches preach, or even Christians, or articles will talk about um, this issue of sexuality in such a way that we go, hey, hey, all we preach is Proverbs 5. Hey, 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 don't give in to lust, but I'll tell you what you do. You turn your married bedroom up to 11 because that's where the action is. It's going to be everything you ever dreamed about. You're never going to ever be tempted again. So yeah. And here's the problem. That leaves most of the church wondering, but what about me? What about me? Um, see, we, we believe as a church... Um, that God designed sexuality, that the designer, God, set limits on how that intimacy should be expressed, that God has designed this intimacy to be expressed between one man and one woman under the covenant of marriage, and that this intimacy is good and should be pursued for those to whom God has given this gift. But that still leaves a lot of people asking, what about me? I'm not married. Or biblically, I'm not free from my last marriage. Or biblically, I, I'm married, but our intimacy is definitely not what I hoped it would be. And now, we're married for life. Um, or I'm married, and one of us is in a season of prolonged illness. One of us has become disabled. And now we're looking at 20, 30 years until Jesus takes us home. Maybe you have a same-sex attraction and you're wondering, can I, can, I live, can I live with this? I understand what the Bible says, but I'm actually going to, can I make it? What about me? And here's what I think biblically we need to say and say loudly in the church. Sex is not life. God is life and sex is a gift. Our sexuality expressing it Enjoying it is not life. It is not the thing that we were created for. God is that thing that we were created for. And he gives gifts of sunsets and, and oceans and joys and families and sexuality. And they are good because they come from him. But he is that good for which we all long for. See, there are two great lies that I feel like just are, are, are tearing my generation in particular apart. And the first lie is that sex will make you happy. In other words, that true joy and life are found either in that next experience, 
Maybe that next one will be true joy in life for me. Or maybe we have a kind of a lower expectation. Well, like I don't need the perfect experiences, but I just need them in my life to some level so that I can be happy and satisfied as a whole. No, friends, that is a lie because God will give you a true joy that goes beyond surface and fleeting happiness. And the second lie is that sex will make you human. Um, we, have, we have reduced in our culture identities of human beings who are souls made in the image of God to be nothing more than sexual expression. And we call people who do not express that part of themselves repressed subhuman people. And friends, the reality is Jesus answers that. Jesus was the most human person to ever live. And he experienced many true joys, but never that one. And so do not believe the lie that your identity is wrapped up in that and you can't be human without that. Friends, this is the, the reality. Matthew 19, Jesus lays something out. He says, listen, following me may cost you. It may cost you your home. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your friends. It may feel like you're dying. And I think in our modern culture, it may mean that people think that you're a prude, that you're repressed, that you're subhuman, that you're a joke. But Jesus holds out this beautiful promise, friends, in Matthew 19, verse 29. No one who has left these things will not get 100 times as much, listen, in this life and inherit eternal life to come. What is he saying? He's making a bold-faced promise that, listen, you stack all the temptations of Proverbs 7 up. Stack them up. I dare you and ask if I am not better than those. Test me. I will give you what you actually long for, not something that you're going to experience in an instant and a few minutes later regret, and you will live with the pain of for years. But I'm going to give you something that is good now and in the end blooms into eternal life. May we not believe the lie, friends, that sexuality is that true satisfaction that we long for. Let us, let us be willing to stack that up against who the Lord is and what he offers and say, Lord, show me. I feel this with every fiber of my being, but I want you, my true joy, my eternal life. Last and, and very briefly, sin once, the lie is this, the last lie is this, and I won't even comment much on this other than to say, the lie is that sin wants to help you and not hurt you. See, this woman is portraying herself as if she's this guy's friend, as if, oh, listen, I want you to experience this. Oh, I, I, I'm into this. I, I'm, I'm for you. I want you to, to not be one of these repressed people. I want you to experience all these pleasures. But verse 22 says this. It takes the mask off. It flips the light on. Verse 22, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter 
or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. You know what this does? It, it flips the lights on. And this soft, seductive scene, it shows us by flipping the lights on in an instant, there are bodies everywhere in this room. Under that soft bed and in that closet with the sultry clothes are stacked, disgusting, rotting corpses. The stench of death sears its way through her perfume. She looks like someone who is for you, who just wants you to have a good time. This is a serial killer, friends. This is a murderer. This whole thing is a trap, and she knows exactly what you want and knows that that first bite will be delicious, but before you know it, the knife comes out and the arrow flies and the noose tightens. She is not your friend. James 1 says this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This is the irony, that we run into the arms of sin because we look at the way of life and, and the rebukes and the reproofs of discipline, and we think, that's too restrictive. That's holding me back. I want to be able to express myself. We look at our Heavenly Father and say, you won't let me have what will make me happy. What this passage reveals is she is not our friend, the Lord is. The Lord flips the light on, not to hurt us, but to lead us back into the light. We need a true friend and Jesus is that friend. Jesus sees through our excuses to see our sin in all of its disgusting, rotting, gross um, bodies everywhere kind of, of truth. We can't hide from Jesus those secret moments or those conversations or those thoughts. He sees everything. But Jesus, friend, does not flinch or move away from us. He moves toward us. He offers his life to pay for our sins. He was tempted as we are, yet did not sin. He cut himself off from all the good of his heavenly father to pay for the secret sins that you and I have committed. He saw our sin in all of its horror and death, and he, rather than backing away, followed us into the tomb. He was slaughtered. Isaiah 53 says, for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. And on him was the punishment that brought us peace and life. So this is what Jesus, our true friend, tells us today. He sees our futile, fumbling attempts to find true and lasting joy. And instead, he says, put those aside. I am what you want. He offers us streams of living water. He offers to restart our hearts again, to put his spirit in us, to lift our eyes to see that eternal city we long for. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Knowledge 
is acquiring facts and information about a given subject. Wisdom is the proper application of facts and information. You know, it's one thing to know about something. It's a whole other thing to be able to properly utilize that thing. We all want wisdom. Wisdom is this wonderful gift that allows us to carefully and safely navigate through this life. In this eight-part series entitled Wisdom for Life, Pastor Ricky will explore what the book of Proverbs has to say about wisdom. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Again, that email address is radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook, again, at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.